cycling legitimately got me into the NHL and it actually kept me in the NHL. And, and the reason for that is I came in in 1999 and after all this mountain biking with these, these guys ripping up the mountains in, in Alberta, um, I would come into camp and just destroy testing. We did all of our testing on bikes. So we do VO2, sprint testing, you know, you know, all this, all, all the, all the major tests. And so the scores were like off the charts for hockey. Like, sure. you know, they're probably very average for cycling, <laughs> but the two worlds are very different when it comes to training and putting out power. Hey there folks. Welcome on back to King of the Ride podcast. I am your host. I am Ted King. And I know we have an awesome show in store for you today. We sit down with Andrew Ference. Andrew Ference is a 17-year veteran of the NHL. Quick aside, I grew up playing hockey. I played hockey until I was 17 years old. Secretly, although not so secretly, if I could have been a professional hockey player, that's my secret little dream. Anyway, my team growing up was the Boston Bruins. Andrew Ference won the Stanley Cup for the Boston Bruins. He happens to ride a bike or... And maybe coincidentally rides a bike. Either way, I probably wouldn't have crossed paths with him if he didn't ride a bike because we, we've met up at a handful of cycling events. We met up this past weekend at the Jeremy Powers Jam Grand Fundo. Stoked we were able to sit down and chat. He's got a fascinating story. You can tell in our conversation that he doesn't... He, he thinks about things differently. He's a very cerebral hockey player and clearly talented to have made it for 17 years. Andrew, thank you very much for the time. I'm stoked for today's show. Next up, let's talk bike racing. I referred to La Course, which of course is the one-day women's tour to France. It happened on a Tuesday, a little bit odd that it was midweek, but the race itself was outstanding. I don't know if you saw it. I hope you caught wind of it. I hope you, you watched the highlights. The race was incredible. The turnout was incredibly impressive. And more so than anything, I want you, at the end of this little blurb, to go Google happy tears la course. Those four words. In particular, what you're looking for is Cicely Utrip Ludwig, who raises for Cervello Bigla. It's a post-race interview in which the girl is in absolute hysterics. It is a combination of crying and laughing. She lets loose this impassioned stream of euphoria, more so than anything I've seen before, stemming around the teamwork, the camaraderie, and a general appreciation and love for the bike that you've ever seen. I know that John Degenkolb earned um, our appreciation for his love and his post, his love for the sport in his post-win interview after the uh, Roubaix tour stage. Very well earned. Degenkolb, holy moly, you raced like a giant. I, I want you all to go look up this particular video because... Sicily, it's it's incredible. Just let's leave it at that. It's kind of like the double rainbow guy, although rather than kind of laughing along with the double rainbow guy, I mean, I was getting a little bit choked up watching Sicily Utrup Ludwig's video. This was incredible. Please take time to look at that. Next up, men's tour, men's tour to France. We are currently entering act two. Act one was last week. Bike racing, I think can be said is a tiny bit scripted. The racing is very real. However, it would be something of chaos if there weren't the traditional act one, first week breakaways. Um, what we saw is exactly as expected. I thought teams like Direct Energy, those guys raced exquisitely well. They are lower level division two teams. They don't have huge uh, general classification aspirations. They don't have mega sprinters. So you see guys like Kalmajan, Sylvain Chavanel, Jerome Cousins, these guys all infiltrating the breakaway day after day after day, often representing the breakaway with one or two riders from Direct Energy Team. And it, it's what they've been asked to come to the Tour for. They animated the race perfectly. They were often dramatic finishes. It was, it was honestly a beautiful thing to watch. Additionally, huge shout-out goes to Act 1 leading actor, Tom Scoynes. Tom's he earned... Uh, you know, huge bit of respect for the way he raced, the way he snatched that KOM jersey, the way he maintained the KOM jersey, and then to go into the Roubaix stage and often ride at the front of the peloton, having, helping out Degenkolb. I think that's what made that particular Roubaix stage so interesting is, of course, you're throwing in non-classic specialists into a dangerous race, but exquisite bike racers are exquisite bike racers. And that's why, you know, the likes of a Nibali can still excel there. That's why Garrett Thomas, who we're going to talk about here in a sec, he can excel there. And then 
plenty of their domestiques who don't have the punchy names that we all know, like the Garen Thomases, the, the Vincenzo Nibelis. It made for incredible bike racing. Okay, now enter Act 2. We're going into Week 2. It's now stage... Uh, what? We've had 10, 11, 12 is tomorrow. Um, this is where the race gets quite a bit more interesting. Let's remember what has happened leading up to this. These guys, they have not ridden up mountains in upwards of two plus weeks. They didn't ride mountains last week. They didn't ride mountains the week before that. So now to jump in on Tuesday, stage 10, to start smashing up mountains, to go cat four, cat one, HC climb, cat one, cat one, that is an abrupt, rude awakening for, for climbing legs. And I think that's also why we don't see huge shakeups in GC yesterday. Obviously, Rigo lost some time. I think yesterday was a day that you could lose the tour, but you're not going to win it. You see, you see a fellow like Alaphilippe riding out of his mind because he's French. He has the ability to go up hills really well. He's not going to outclimb the GC favorites, but French happen to love the KOM jersey. It'll probably be this yesterday, today, and tomorrow that it determines if he's going to keep it. Anyway, he put in an enormous performance. That was beautiful to see. There's so much that went down today. Uh, today was stage 11. Today, they had three mega climbs. It was the really short day. They went up the Rosary. It was going to be fireworks from the beginning. When you have a stage that's just 105K, 108K, you know that that is going to be dramatic. There was nothing flat today. It was either up or down or up. So... What I want to get it to is we've getting, we're getting a lot of questions pouring in, and that's why this introduction is so long, is, is questions are pouring in. That's why we're doing more routine podcasts. There's a bike race going on. I want to be talking about what's going on in the bike race so that we're not just issuing weekly podcasts, but we're doing podcasts every two or three days. Question comes in from Karen. My personal theory is that Sky will get Thomas into yellow at some point. Let me get back to the question. By prefacing this with Karen sent me this before today's stage, before Thomas rode into yellow. She says, my personal theory is that Sky will get Thomas into yellow at some point. While Froome is, quote, working to defend Thomas, he's going to slowly creep up a few places. He's going to make some gains. He's going to go into a Froome Giro-like mode. Later on mountain stages, he's going to have a super fast TT right before pa Paris. He will likely snatch the yellow off his own teammate. It totally stinks for Thomas. What do I think? What do I think? I think it's making for really, really interesting bike racing. I think it's reminiscent of the Froome v. Wiggins era from just a few years back when Wiggins was the dominant star and the Chris Froome was the up-and-comer. I think we're seeing the enormous power of Sky. I think when you have the likes of Landa, Valverde, Quintana, Nibali, Bardet, Iran is now a something of an afterthought, unfortunately. Um, Richie Port. You have all of the favorites that any of you put in your fantasy picks, any of you have been rooting for, anyone who is not on Team Sky. When all of those guys are getting beaten and, and beaten handily by Sky, I think the most interesting race is going to be, quite frankly, the infighting within Sky. What is going to happen? Is it going to be similar to what Karen has just predicted? Good question. I think we can all agree that both Garen Thomas and Chris Froome are incredibly skinny dudes. Um, we've seen that they are potentially frail. Cycling is a dangerous sport. You can fall off your bike. You can, you can go over a ledge. You can have a very inopportune flat tire. Those two guys have crashed out of very big races at very key moments. And not to say that is going to be the interesting thing, but I think this race is very, very far from over. I think I have hopes that, that the Vincenzo is going to move up. I think Bardet shows incredible strength. I, I think it's very safe to say that Quintana, is, he always has a good, oh, I shouldn't say always, he will have a good final third week. I think it is interesting when every other GC hope has already been spat out the back and, and the two top Sky guys are duking it out. That said, I think we might see some sort of coup among non-Sky GC hopefuls to really try to chip into those guys because there is no 
shortage of passion. Everybody wants to be on that top step. And they realize that the only way to beat Sky is going to be to work together. So I think it's going to be a fascinating day tomorrow. Bunch of huge climbs. Madeleine, La Croix Fair, and of course, finishing up Alpe d'Huez. It's going to be awesome racing. We still have Act 3 to come. There are more punchy stages, and then they're going back into the Pyrenees. It's The race is half over. There is so much more to go. It's awesome. Another very hats-off moment, point, goes out to Peter Sagan. We obviously know Peter Sagan is beastly. He is he is one of a kind. He has traits similar to Greg Van Avermaet, to Philippe, to mm, Gilbert. He goes uphill well. He sprints well. He happens to do both exceptionally well. And that is why you see him sneaking in to the breakaway early, snatching points. And then it was comical to me, and hopefully you caught this too, how he literally, he rides his own race. He earned the, the points so early, I think it was 15 or 20 kilometers in, and then he just, he pedals solo. He's having a good day. He's high-fiving the fans. He doesn't get caught for another hour or more by the peloton, and then he's going to get you know swept up by a groupetto. He is having the easiest day out there because he has the ability to do what he did early, sneak into that break, get the points, boom. Nose breathing from there on out. I was, another quick side note, I was really, I was stoked to see TJ go on the attack today. He had the company of teammate Damiano Caruso. And honestly, I thought that was fascinating because on paper, that that is a perfect setup. TJ, he's lost time. BMC, now that they've lost, uh, they knew they were going to lose the jersey today with Greg. They no longer have GC hopes with TJ having lost time on the Roubaix stage. Port, obviously, out. So I was thinking, man, this is this is kind of cool. TJ, prolific climber on BMC with huge amount of domestique horsepower, has the ability to go sneak into a handful of breakaways, get a bunch of KOM points, and it'll be awesome to see TJ take a KOM jersey. I think that also shows the dynamic nature that today's stage was. Because on paper, this group of five is riding away from a group of 40. It, it makes perfect sense. And then it's the crazy unfolding of a really short stage like today. It just, whatever it was, 60 miles. That that entire group got clawed, clawed back more so. And then you see the, the role reversal where a dude like Thomas again is then in the breakaway. It was, today was fireworks. It was beautiful. It was excellent bike raising. I loved it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Anyway, I want you to keep sending me the questions. He is Ted King at gmail.com or all things I am Ted King, one word, on the social media, the Twitters, the Instagrams, everything else in between. Keep the questions coming. I'm excited to answer them. I'm excited for this week. I'm excited for this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my chat with the one and only Andrew Barents. Andrew Ferentz, welcome to King of the Ride podcast. It's a pleasure. It's nice to be here in person too. Yeah, uh, that's the goal of these podcasts is to always be in person because I think something is lost over um, the telephone, over a screen. This is much more fun. Not to mention, we got a pretty decent view here. <laughs> I was just about to say, we're sitting in the middle of a vineyard uh-huh. um, in beautiful southeastern Massachusetts. Yes, sir. And we just finished uh, an incredible ride with Jeremy Powers. Bingo. The ninth annual... Jam Fun Grand Fundo, one of the greatest names for a ride, Grand Fundo. Um, yeah, this is my second go around. I understand this is your first. It's my first. I actually always watched, well, for the last two years, after I met the whole New England cycling crew a few years back, um, I would see this this ride on on Instagram and I would see the ice cream truck. Oh, yeah. And I would see the fluff nutter sandwiches. Did you get your hands on a fluffer nutter today? I had the OG, yes. which, which has fluff nutter what is it peanut butter or what is it the the main two ingredients of a fluff or nutter are fluff and peanut butter yeah, on so fluff, cheap peanut butter. white bread cheap white bread and but yes but here's the kicker blueberries which uh-huh. which was cool very new england bacon and it sounds so that weird is, that is basically everything you need with the exception of maple syrup would really ice the cake but for all intents and purposes the og fluff or nutter white bread bacon Blueberries, fluff, peanut butter. 
That was out of this world. That was my first one today. Did you pour maple syrup on it? I didn't. I wish I had. Uh, I was actually full from the ice ice cream truck. Not not too long before. I was I was bonking about two minutes before the ice cream truck. Ah, oh, perfect. And so as we pulled up to it, there's angels floating over it and music playing in the background. Well, there actually Bingo. was music. It was ice cream music. Yeah. Man, I I don't envy the folks who have to work the ice cream truck because you have that on repeat. But it's happy people. It is. Non-stop happiness. Much like this event. This is nothing but happiness. Um, I think they've really tapped into a great thing as this this event, the jam jam stands for Jeremy, Al, and Macunda. Al and Macunda are former teammates of mine on an amateur team that I raced on in 2003. And then Jeremy nearly came on that team, but he signed with Jelly Belly to begin his road career. I'm giving you all sorts of trivia that you never thought you needed to know. But those three dudes lived here in central Massachusetts, and they started the Jam Fund with hopes of drawing cyclists here to this area, young cyclists, especially on the cyclocross side, and they've done an amazing job creating grants. I think we're going to have to split and know... We can't stay here too long. We got to go down to the tent and watch where the grants are given out to the kids who earn them uh, to develop cycling here in New England, especially central Massachusetts. So when I heard about the Jam Fund, I thought it was kind of like a charity play. Yeah. But they've been pumping out like incredible cyclists, correct? Bingo. Yes. Like top flight cyclists. Um, We talked about it last night. There was a little bit of a VIP shindig. So Jeremy... And Stephen Hyde, we're, we're chatting. I mean, like under 110, those two guys are great friends and foes. I mean, bike races and competitors. Uh, yeah, they those two went bar to bar, toe to toe last year's national championships. Um, Anthony Clark is super duper fast. Scott Smith is A, an amazing comic. B, supported by Untapped. But C, great cyclist doing his own thing. Uh, he's graduated from the jam program to start his own thing called the Dirt League. Bikes, man. It's kind of amazing. Which is why I wanted to talk to you because I met you at a cycling event. Correct me if I'm wrong. I th- think we met at Tour of Alberta. Perhaps. I think I did. I think I met I think I met you through Tim Johnson. Sounds right. New at England Tour of Alberta time. because I live in Edmonton. I grew up in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And then when I left the Boston Bruins to go play for the Edmonton Oilers, I was back home. Mm-hmm. Um I met Tim, I think, just before I left the Bruins. And then, so I, when you guys all swung through for Tour of Alberta, I was, I get to be super fan. Come see all the famous cyclists. I love it, man. I like, I bike my whole life. I love being around it. And it, it's one of those things, like, the more I get to know everybody in this world, the better, the better it is. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Oh, that's wild. And it, I mean, we can, we can turn the tables because I grew up playing hockey. I skated since I was two years old. I played till I was 17. Bruins fan through and through. So naturally, when I meet Andrew Ference there at a bike race, I was like, what the what? This is the craziest thing ever. And Tim had been saying that you were around, you were you were a little bit involved with the race at that point. I think we were up in Banff. And I was like, dude, that's super cool to meet Andrew Ference. And then lo and behold, you're, you're not just there watching, but you're there as a cyclist. So... Yeah, I love it. I mean... I, I I was telling you down at the tent and some other people, but I tell everybody in the cycling world that um, there's a lot of hockey players that, you know, ride the exercise bike, <laughs> you know, and do their thing and, and whatnot. But there's very few that ride the bike well. And so I could never find people to ride with. So I'd always like go find mountain bikers. I lived up in the mountains near Banff. And so I'd find these you know, guys are on the pro circuit and then I found you guys and, you know, but cycling legitimately got me into the NHL and it actually kept me in the NHL. And, and the reason for that is I came in in 1999 and after all this mountain biking with these, these guys ripping up the mountains in, in Alberta, um, I would come into camp and just destroy testing. We did all of our testing on bikes. So we do VO2, sprint testing, you know, you know, all this, all, all the, all the major tests. And so the scores were like off the charts for hockey. Like, sure. you know, they're probably very average for cycling, <laughs> but the two worlds are very different when it comes to training and putting out power. And so it legitimately got me into the league because, um, it, it made me stand out from the crowd. I was like an eighth round pick, like, had no business kind of being there, but... Who were you um, drafted by? Pittsburgh Penguins. In 99? In, yeah, so my first year was 99, so I got drafted in 97. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it got me there and it kept me there, and man, I honestly owe a lot to cycling. And as we often do in this podcast, we're going to jump around with timelines, but 
10 minutes ago, we were down at the, uh, the feed tent eating a whole lot of delicious barbecue and so on and so forth. And we were talking about the, the length of careers in the NHL. And you said, well, tell me what you said. I think you said the average career might be about three years unless you surpass a certain threshold and then all of a sudden it boosts. Yeah, I think it's like three to, you know, right around three years is the average. But, you know, there's a ton of guys that come in for like, you know, a cup of coffee and then they're out. Yeah. So they bring the average down. <laughs> but uh, there, there is a magic kind of hump if you can get over. And I think it's 150 games. If you can get over 150 games, then the average career bumps up to around like five, five and a half years. So not bad, but like... Yeah, it's tough, man. You gotta you gotta scrap. So I pulled out seventeen by the end of it. Boom. So that's a that's you, a mix of like working your ass off and also some fortunate luck and timing and being on the right teams and that is yeah. demolishing the average. Um what is eighty two games a year? Sands playoffs? Eighty two games, yeah, and then there's exhibition in playoffs. So I think like the most I ever played in season, uh like going deep into the playoffs was like uh, hundred and ten, hundred and fifteen, something like that. And what do you suppose is if your team let's pretend you're on a team that's not gonna make the playoffs, what do you think the if there's eighty two games a year, how many would the typical player play? As a, like probably scratch. on average you'd be in the seventies. Like okay. you'd miss a couple for injuries and whatnot. But man, if you can oh get man. if you can play all eighty two, it's like a badge of honor. There's usually a couple guys on each team. That every year that can play 82. I think I only did it a couple times my whole career. Yeah. Stuff. I believe it. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. We can go in a thousand directions like I typically do in these unscripted podcasts. Um, okay. Drafted Penguins. Did you play for the Penguins or did you go straight? Played for the Penguins and I started with the Pittsburgh Penguins who were then just kind of ownership transferred over to Mario Lemieux. Yeah. I one of my all-time best Christmas gifts that I received as a kid was a Mary Lou jersey. Sure. So all of a sudden I find myself legitimate, like on the ice with my idol. Like, yeah. And, and he's probably still schooling people. Oh, it's one of those like fantasy moments where, yeah. you know, I was, I was a fan of, you know, my owner and team captain and line mate. And, yeah. 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 Uh, so I think every, every time he assisted, like he assisted on a couple of my goals. So I'd frame the game sheet. And, oh, you know. So rad. Uh, so yeah, I got to start with my heroes, played there for a few years. We, you know, had a couple great runs in playoffs. And then I went to Calgary um, for about three and a half years. Went uh-huh. to the Stanley Cup finals with Calgary. We lost in the seventh game to Tampa Bay. Uh-huh. And then uh, got traded and was super bummed out because I loved, you know, I was close to home. I was sure. living in Calgary, got traded to Boston and and was just like a bit rattled mm-hmm. and had no idea what a fortunate turn of events that was for me. And uh, I spent my longest, longest time, eight years in Boston. Wow. And just had like unbelievable teams, you know, won the cup, yep. uh, had the best uh best living arrangement down in the north end of Boston. I, I want to get into that. Like the, <laughs> it's just the best. North end Boston, I believe that's where many of the players live. Yeah, quite a few. I mean, you're you're relatively close to, uh, what, the Garden? The Garden. Uh, it goes TD with, it Bank goes, North goes Garden. The, no, no, don't even use the Yeah, like, various... It's the, various it's the Garden. Boston Garden. Man, TV 38. I used to grow up watching the Boston Bruins nonstop. 735, puck drops. Um, <laughs> so... Okay, in order to get into the NHL, typically you played juniors. Were you? A, did you play juniors? Yeah, I played junior in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Uh, so I left home when I was 16. Yeah. Uh, went and, you know, took summer school, finished my school down in Portland, Oregon, graduated from high school while playing juniors, started some college, and then went to pro. But yeah, I did four years in, in Portland. Where did you go to college? Uh, well, Portland State. Yep. And then, uh, you know, took just some kind of BS classes, to be honest. And how about, <laughs> where does the cycling fit in? As you... You said, you know, cycling helped aid your, the entrance into the uh, NHL. Yes. Were you- I grew up multi-sport. Like I never um, went to sleep at night dreaming about making the NHL. No kidding. Uh, it wasn't like written on some secret goal list or anything like that. I just you played every dream, sport. Man. I played, played <laughs> hockey. I played lacrosse, played rugby, uh, ran cross country, and then biked a lot. Like yeah. my, honestly, my, probably my, uh, fondest memory of, of being a kid was the first time my kids let me or first time my parents uh let me ride my bike out of the neighborhood yes because i grew up like in an acreage and you know to, to go into town was a huge deal sure. but i remember that being like freedom and so once i got that freedom i rode my bike everywhere like that's how i got places and then uh when i moved to the mountains um down in canmore which is just outside of Banff, alberta nice so it's right in the rockies and then got into the mountain bike scene and and just mountain bike like crazy and um yeah so throughout juniors and when i was young just putting on miles it was great i loved it cool didn't know what i was doing crashed a lot but 
<laughs> um, something worked. What's more dangerous, playing in the NHL or riding a, we'll start with a road bike or riding a road bike? NHL. Well, for how, me. How about? <laughs> but maybe, I'm, any, I think, <laughs> see, you have a different, like we just, we just talked about injuries and falling and stuff like that. You ride and like, you, like your version of road biking is like a huge pack of animals like fighting for position. I ride 98% of the time by myself. Sure. Right. You are recreating while on a bike for some fitness, so on and so forth. I ride a bike for a profession and you were playing hockey for a profession and I would, you know, skate to recreate uh, exactly. a little bit of fitness. It's fun at particular times of year. How about, and you said you find mountain biking, like you're jibbing off trees and rocks and going high speeds, a little bit dangerous there. Mountain biking. I felt like the better I got, the harder I fell, you know, cause yeah. you take the hard line, you go faster. Um, I, I have one really bad crash, which really kind of actually got me onto a road bike because I was like, I gotta, I gotta, keep biking, but do something else. <laughs> but I went down a compression on my, on my mountain bike and my front wheel just tacoed. Oh. And so I just plowed, dove, plowed straight into the ground. And luckily I had a camelback on. Yeah. So I land, I flipped over, landed hard on my back Holy and the camelback crap. like kind of did the like, yeah. <laughs> and it was your airbag. It was your wet Kind of saved me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was, it was bad. Cracked helmet the whole, the whole nine yards. Solo? No, no, with a buddy, and Thankfully. so did the very slow walk out of the bushes. That was that was tough, and so kind of after that, I I dialed it back on the mountain bike, and now most mostly mountain biking in the in the ice and snow in the winters in Edmonton, throw on the studded tires, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, so Laura and I recently moved from wonderful cycling mecca, San Francisco, to northern Vermont, where so far it's been nothing but minimum seventy five, and often in the nineties. However, come wintertime, the weather is going to be, it's going to deteriorate hard. The weather in Edmonton is not 365 days of sun and warmth. So you're giving me some tips earlier. What are your, what are your go-to things to get through a winter in Edmonton? Including, let's just preface it with November Project. Yeah, the November Project. Tell me all about it. I'm so glad you know about the November Project. I know a thing or two. I follow you on Instagram. Um... (laughs) I grew up with the seasons. I love seasons. Bingo. Like, love them. Um, there's nothing better. Unfor- like, I actually love living on the East Coast in Boston, New England, because you get a nice long fall and you get like, you know, harvest and the apples and the, the whole nine yards. The only disadvantage of Edmonton, well, not the only one, <laughs> but <laughs> one of the disadvantages of Edmonton is that our fall lasts for like two weeks. Yeah. You know, the leaves turn and then they're on the ground and it's snowing. Yeah. Um, but it's the embrace of what you, where, you, where you're living. I mean, I, I come to winter, we throw the studded tires on the bike. Um, I bought a pair of uh, um, speed skates. We have an outdoor oval in Edmonton. So even yeah. like when it's like minus 30, like we're still out there. Like you just just deal with it, you know, and, and, and you get out there. I mean, if you lock yourself in your house and you, you know, complain about it, yeah, you're going to be miserable all winter. But um, people cross-country ski, you know, we skate ski a lot. Um yeah, so skate, ski, um, speed skate, we bike. You know, there's a ton of bike commuters all, the whole entire year. And then there's November Project. So November Project started in Boston. Um, when I was playing there, we were running Harvard Stadium. It's a free workout group, you know, three times a week in the morning. It's grown to like, I don't even know what it's at. It's like 40-some, 50-some cities now oh, around okay. the world. It's crazy. Did you, did you start it? No, my two buddies started in Boston. Okay. And then, so when I moved to Edmonton, I started the Edmonton chapter, you know, and, uh, and we just celebrated our fifth year and we get like three to 400 people, like on a big day, we run in the football stadium for stairs, you know, we run hills on Fridays, uh, Mondays, like kind of like a body weight workout, but we go all year and it's always outside. And so what we developed in Edmonton was a badge of honor. Yeah. So anytime it's below minus 30, yeah. uh, if you show up, you get like a badge and it's like a Boy Scout <laughs> badge and people, people like on minus 30 days when yeah. it's below that, we get like a surge in people because sure. people are like, they're you like, know, oh, we're going to get the badge. I want to get my badge. Yeah. Yeah. So the worst day is like a minus 28 day, right? <laughs> minus 28 Fahrenheit? Nah, Celsius. Okay. Where they're, they're well, even at like minus 40. So yeah, I was going to say, don't they overlap at like 40? So, yeah. Okay. That's minus still where you like you breathe nasty. and your breath crystallizes in front of you. That's insane. Yeah, uh, it's tough. But but that's the thing. It's like, yeah, you can either sit at home and complain about it or just get out and do it. Misery like, no, loves company. And like I'm what's that saying? It's like there's no such thing as bad weather, just like bad clothes. 
Bingo. You know, you can dress for it. You throw some layers on. Go have a good time. Couldn't agree more. Um, so it's on a it's on a set routine. Like it's going to happen. Which days? Or do you have to like put a call out and say, hey, this Tuesday at six a.m. we're going to be out. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Every single one. Every single one. Yeah, it's awesome. So my sister helps me, and then we have another friend, uh, Nadim Chin. He helps us out. So between the three of us, one of us is usually there. Yeah. Uh, usually all three of us, but. Yeah, just Hot damn. give her a go, man. It's 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 give an incredible. It's an incredible community. There's no membership. Like yeah. people just show up. Um, but the friendships and like think about how how many times do you have like the opportunity to meet new people and like have conversations or just interact with people with like no strings attached. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of cool because he's like these uh, relationships and friendships and like group travels with people go and do like the Hawaii marathon together and they'll have like weekends together people at christmas like if it falls on a christmas morning like mm-hmm. we do it on christmas morning as you do and i remember the first year that it kind of it, it happened where you know my sister and i and, and nadine were looking at each other like okay it's on christmas like should we still do this yeah I'm like oh why not you so we're in your turkey so we showed up and there's like a hundred and some people and some people came up after and said you know what like thanks because i legitimately have no family and this is like this is my wow. gathering and then like they would be a bit adopted by other people in the group and yep. go and spend Christmas. So it's just like tugging at my heartstrings, but like, that is outstanding. But that's what it is, right? Like it's building community. It's all centered around fitness, but at the end of the day, it's just people, you know, having a connection to something. Sure. It's the new church. I love it. And that's, that is, I think what I find in this whole gravel community post traditional bike racing is, I mean, I presume the way you just build that people aren't showing up and signing a waiver. Like you show up and you have fun and you go ride, you, you, you find the group that you're supposed to be with and you jam out as hard as you can and have a great time before, during, and after all for the sake of being in that shared community. I don't know if it's like controversial, but like, <laughs> should we talk church? I grew up in church. Uh-huh. I went to a lot. I went to church a lot, but I was never, I was just kind of always there. And I was like, eh, but I actually loved going to church. Like even when I was really young and then when I went to junior and I'd go to like different types of churches. And when I travel, like I went to India, you know, I'd go to, I'd go to yeah. the mosque and I'd go, you know, to different, different places in India, like go to the Hindu temples and just sitting in on church is like fascinating to me. Sure. But I don't like really believe in it. Like, you know, like it's just not my jive, yeah. but I love the, it's the community and it's like people coming together for like an event and a gathering and doing stuff for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, at some of the Hindu temples, they're like serving lunch to like 30,000 people every day. So it's like that community, like coming together and doing something good and, and feeling like you're part of something. And I think that's kind of what, like, that's what I think is the draw to a thing like November project or a run club or mm-hmm. a cycling community or whatever yeah. it is. Like, yeah. it's like people have a human desire to feel like they're part of something. Mm-hmm. And the more people step away from religion and churches, which, which is happening, it's just in the data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they have to find something because there's like a human desire for it. Right. So I think that's part of like what makes stuff like this. I don't know. It just, draws you in i'm with you yeah uh i mean man christianity is a not christianity i I am a christian i was born in the christian church and i i still practice albeit poorly given that i'm typically on a bike on a sunday uh but you are right that the the standard values in so many religion religions would make the world a better place if they could stand by them because you know flip on the television Bad news, bad news, this, that, and the other. And and if people could just... I was talking to Anthony Clark today about it on the ride. Anthony Clark, one of the most energetic people on two wheels. He's like, oh my God, today's a great day. Today's a great day. Oh, I just love being on my bike. Because that's literally the way he talks. And I was like, totally with you, man. And my dad, he, every day I would go to school, my dad would like give me an expression. And one of them that stuck me the most was, try to make it a better day for somebody else. And if you could do that, whether it's on the bike or a November project or at church or outside of church, this would be a much better world. And not to make it too poetic, but yeah, we live in a, a very curious set of times. And it's so easy. It's such a cheap currency. Sure. Like just to be good. Yeah. It's so easy. Be good. Oh man. Great, great expression. Such a cheap currency, but it's one that apparently is tough to uh, draw in across the across the land. So speaking of across the land, switching gears somewhat entirely, although you just tapped into it, you were recently uh, expanding hockey to India. Is that right? Man, I had the most unbelievable trip to India. Um, 
I don't know how many months, maybe five months ago, six months ago. Uh, and we went up to this region in Northern India. I'd been to India, India before and I did the Delhi, Jaipur, you know, Taj Mahal thing with my family and that was insane. But we went up North this time up into Kashmir, which is close to Pakistan, Tibet border. And it, it blew my mind. It was like in the Himalayas, our hotel was at 12 and a half thousand feet. Um, could you like not breathe once you get up to go to pee in the middle of the night? I could like walking up two yeah. flights of stairs in the hotel, like <laughs> drop me. But, uh, you know, the culture was uh, a lot more Buddhist, um, beautiful, you know, temples all over the place and hockey rinks. There's outdoor hockey rinks everywhere in this, in this region of, of India. Um, the army plays a lot, uh, the border police, they have, you know, a few rinks and then they just in the last couple of years, uh, have a certified women's national team and they play out of this region up in, uh, Ladakh in, in Kashmir. And so we went up, uh, I went up with a, a friend of mine. She, uh, she played, uh, you know, Olympic hockey for a number of years. One of the best women's players, uh, Haley Wickenheiser. So she's a female, female hockey player, like a legend in Canada. So the two of us went to go play with his women's team because we were just fascinated by it. And, and so cool. skated with the women's team every day, you know, pra- you know, taught them some stuff. Uh, and then we ended up playing with the army, playing with, you know, with the cops <laughs> in these, these settings in these outdoor rinks were just mind blowing. So they, it's a high altitude desert. So it looks like you're on the moon, but then you're surrounded by the Himalayas. These just towering mountains. Like I grew up in the Rockies yeah. and the Rockies are like little kids. Like the right. Himalayas are for real. And, and then especially at the army rinks, they, it's, it's really hard to explain, but it, it's almost like if you watch like an old, you know, an old movie or something like that, that shows like a jousting match in like ancient, you know, in ancient England or something like that yep. and how they have like the velvet canopies and like the throne seats for, you know, for the royalty to watch. No way. So they had that set up at these army rinks and the generals would come and sit on these like big kind of throne seats under these beautiful canopies with like beautiful rugs on the ground. Yeah. And they would sit there and watch the games from like kind of this perch. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody else would just kind of be like lined around these boards that were like a foot high. And so people are getting like hit with the puck when it flies (laughs) out. And it's just, it was kind of chaos, but so amazing. I take, there's not a lot of scrums by the boards. No, people like, like fall over the boards, trip over the boards. Um, but this region, Ladakh and the town is lay if you look it up. But, um, the whole time I was there, we drove to a few villages and went to visit some of the, the, the villages where the girls grew up and these roads, were pristine. The army builds no the roads there and maintains them. So just beautiful asphalt through the Himalayas. Yeah. The most monstrous climbs you could probably ever imagine at like an insane altitude. Oh, good Lord. And the whole time I was like, oh my God, I want to come back here yeah. with my bike. Like hardly any traffic. Uh-huh. So it's like a I'm telling you, if, if there's like a an exotic destination that you are have been hunting out, yeah. Lay India. Spell it. L E H. Okay. Yeah. I remember seeing in cycling tips, I believe it was last year, uh, some sort of expedition that went to somewhere near Everest and, I, and the, the roads look pristine. Basically everything you just said, it's like such, a, such an exotic moonscape atmosphere on amazing roads at, oh, you know what they were doing? They were Everesting as close to Everest as they could get on pristine roads oh, and they cool. all fell apart because they're at 14,000 feet. Yeah, no, it, it buries you. The altitude is brutal. Is another level. Um, you are you're married to an athlete? Yeah, I'm married of to elite status. Oh, I met her before my first year in the NHL. And right. so we've been together. We just celebrated our 16th anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. Um but she was a pro snowboarder. Uh and she I snowboarded growing up. Yeah. Uh so I was a uh, I tried to get on the hill as much as possible and so I actually got to know her family first. And her family knew I love snowboarding. They're like, hey, you should meet my sister. <laughs> and so uh, her, they showed me a magazine that she was in, like when she had her, you know, she was snowboarding. I was like, yes, you're, yes, you're right. I, I should think, meet I sister. think I should get to know and her. And so they introduced and uh, yeah, we, we uh, you know, dated for a year, got engaged. She was still on tour. She was doing X Games and nice. all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, yeah, she's pretty rad. So, nice. we, so we still go up and, you know, she's you know, we have a very athlete driven family. So she does she still enjoy her time on a snowboard on the mountain, or does she sort of been there, done that? Now she does other athletic pursuits. She loves it. Nice. Yeah, takes the kids up. 
yeah. shows up and, you know, shows off. She's still got all the moves. And oh, yeah. She did, you know, she was freestyle. She did half pipe, uh, slope style and big air. Good and Lord. so she starts pulling out some of the old tricks and you're yeah. like, all right, all right, she's for real. She's got the chops. <laughs> yeah. Man, oh man. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about you? How, how deep did your snowboarding career go? Could you do a 180, 360? Uh, I think I got up to like a solid 540 I could pull nice. off. Uh, yeah. I could never really get beyond that. And then I was kind of an urban. We, uh, me, and my, me and some friends set up like a um, a park like in, in our backyard. I sure. grew up on an acreage, so I had enough of a slope to build like a park, threw Did in you, some rails and stuff. Yeah. And, Would you bring the snow, snowmobile in? No. We no. lived in enough like rolling fields that you could build like wicked booters and the snowmobile comes in and then we started just breaking ourselves, but... You'd lo- like get towed in? Yeah, get towed in at like 40 miles an hour on the flats because you'd have amazing. enough of a little, you know, picture sort of a, well, I guess we don't have. Our vantage point from where we are casting pods right now is spectacular as we talked about the vineyard and I was trying to point out a hill, but it would be sort of like if we could launch a jump from there and then you land on this little downslope here. All right, that's pretty, that's, that's another level. No, ours was very like low tech. Yeah. Um, actually, one of our rails was the old trampoline. <laughs> So it's remarkable. You're like, how do we take this already dangerous device and make it more dangerous? Yeah, we just slide on the edge of the trampoline. It was like a nice metal rail. Perfect. We couldn't think of anything better. So, uh, outstanding. Yeah. Um, you have switched. We're also the perks of being outside is <laughs> dogs barking. Dogs are wonderful. Birds everywhere. You have switched gears and careers recently. Yeah, I took a year off after retiring and and. Um, well, I should back back up a bit. So my last two years of playing in Edmonton, I jumped back into school and went got a, uh, a professional certificate out of uh, uh, Harvard Extension School in corporate sustainability. So oh, no was, kidding. So let me interrupt. Sorry, you did that while in Edmonton, not while in Boston. While in Edmonton. Gotcha. Yeah. So it, it's actually pretty amazing if you're ever wanting to go back to school. This, you know, I don't know. It, it, I felt a bit old when I started doing it because I'm like, wait a minute, like you can just do everything online. Yeah. Like, everything. It was, it was amazing. So, but you did you know, everything lectures. at Harvard. You didn't. Yeah. It was great. No, that's freaking awesome. So I always did a lot, um, you know, in the environmental world, uh, with the NHL, with the players association, we had some pretty, pretty big initiatives that we did. And then I knew that, you know, I didn't want to just sit around when I was retired, you know, life was pretty, pretty long. So, um, yeah, I did that and knew that I would do something in that world and kind of took a year to just go bike ride a ton, you know, did did a lot of riding, did mm-hmm. a route with Tim, Tim sure. Johnson. That was, that was a highlight of last year. And then knowing that, uh, you know, I'd start working. So I actually got a gig with, with the NHL. Um, a lot of the people that I did, did a lot of work with while I was a player. And now I'm in, uh, our, our, uh, social impact, legislative affairs and, uh, growth initiatives. So we do everything from, you know, youth hockey and growing the game to all of our good social projects like Hockey Fights Cancer. Wow. And then uh, just a couple of days ago, yeah, we did like our DC stuff. So we're, you know, in every government building in DC, Holy uh, meeting with the, you know, senators and legislators and representatives and, you know, really doing the legislative work, which is fascinating. It's so it, it's a pretty wide ranging job, but yeah. Um, it's awesome. I love it. Like it's, it's, it's really fun. It's still in hockey, but has nothing to do with, you know, you know, picking players or tactics or anything like that. It's, it's all the big long-term growth strategy stuff. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Um, and forgive my ignorance. For some reason, I was thinking you were in commentary for the NHL where you were going to be commentating a lot of games oh. because you're great behind the mic. Um, that's, that doesn't sound fun though. I, I did that. I actually tried. Yeah. I tried that a couple of times, um, during playoffs. Um, uh, NBC does the games. Sure. So they have this like cavern up in, um, was it Stanford? Yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. Right so down the road somewhere. Went into Stanford and you kind of go into this massive building in this windowless room mm-hmm. and you watch hockey <laughs> and in the playoffs, if you're watching like West coast games yeah. and they like go into overtime, everybody's just like, no, because <laughs> 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 it's already like one in the morning Everybody's just praying for a quick goal. Yeah. Um, but you watch these games and you have to really pay attention and obviously like take your notes. But then when you're on the air, like you got, 15 seconds maybe to mm-hmm. like put out some in, some interesting comment or fact and that's kind of it yeah and so it, it was cool to try and kind of see how it all works but to do it all the time like 
that's not me. No, thanks. Well, and it speaks to what you're doing now is like you, it, from the sound of things, you wear 10 different hats on any different day, whether you are, you know, expanding youth hockey or, or developing the sport or looking for, you know, sustainability in, in the sport. Shoot, that's freaking awesome. And so, you know, that was my point is I was thinking, forgive my ignorance. I was thinking you were tied to a particular team to commentate on so-and-so who was about to score his 48th goal of the season. <laughs> I was way off. <laughs> no um, yeah, I know it's good. I, I, I thought I like big long-term projects, right? Yep. And, and, it's good I, and that's, that's kind of like where that's where this is. And beautiful. It, it's a great fit. Nice. Um, have you been following the tour? I watch as much as I can. Uh huh. Um, Speaking of NBC, I mean, you can. I, I was at mile marker eighteen today, and I was watching the the finale of the sprint while on a road two feet wide. Today's not a transfer day? No, today, man, see, that's what's nuts. They're on day eight, tomorrow is stage nine. And so depending on when this podcast goes out, and I've been thinking about when we were going to do it, tomorrow is the stage where they hit... The, the gravel. The, the Yeah, Roubaix cobbles. T- tomorrow's like sports apocalypse. Isn't it like World Cup final? Ooh. Or no, Wimbledon final, World Cup final, yeah. and Sunday, the Roubaix. Sunday, Sunday, Hot damn. And I thought there was something else too, but I know there was just like back-to-back-to-back sports, like bananas. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, takes talking to an athlete to, to garner that. Um, yeah, that's going to be freaking awesome. So, I mean, even when they preface that, it's like apocalypse at the Tour de France. They're being thrown a shit ton, pardon me, of cobbles. Um, you're going to have the sprinters duking it out. You're going to have the GC contenders duking it out. You're going to have every Tom, Dick, and Harry who wants to, to show themselves off to uh, a new contract team that they're worthwhile. It's going to be freaking mayhem. And not to mention, they have up till now, eight days in their legs with no rest days. So, can I ask you who you think is going to do well tomorrow? Oh my god, I'm so horrible at it. Like, because I, I only know a few guys. Like, I'm the person that knows like the big names. That's smart because chances are you name a big name, they might do well. Well, and and I so, don't mean to put you on the spot like that. So you know, uh, Chara is really, He's really good friends with uh, Sagan. Yeah. But I love, I just, I love Sagan. He's, He's awesome. Like my, both ba- awesome. my background is Slovak as well. That's mm-hmm. where my grandparents came from. No kidding. And, uh, and it's worth pointing out to our, our non-hockey audience, Zdeno Chara is what, six foot ten? Six nine. Six nine. And like 275, I think. Slovakian. Huge cyclist. Bruins Literally. captain. I remember when he first came in the league, he was a little bit awkward. He is freaking, he's awesome now. And yeah, he and Peter are homies. Yeah. Mostly on the bike. Well, Zdeno's a, he... He's a competitor. Absolutely. He loves cycling. He shows up and, I mean, much like uh, Bill Walton, he's riding up like Alpe d'Huez. So anyway. it, the crazier the day mm-hmm. and the more curveballs that are thrown, I feel like it's one of those guys that's just like, whatever, I'll go for it. Sure. So why not, Peter, right? I think, yeah, tomorrow has Peter written all over it. Uh, that team has some GC hopes in Raphael Micah. Uh, but, I mean, man, with Oss and Bodnar and uh, Berghardt and then Sagan, I mean, I think it's scripted for him to do well. And this is me without being a professional cyclist, but that's going to take some serious bike handling. Like yeah. Like cobbles and going crazy. For sure. And just nuts. And so also some people are going to be a mess on that, right? 100%. So the, the classics guys are going to do perfectly well. A lot of them will be tasked with looking after their GC contenders. And then, yeah, the trouble is it's not purely a classic. So there are the guys... I think Chris Froome will probably do well. Richie Port has been known to have some bike handling woes. And my prediction now, we will see what happens, is that Richie may have some tough luck on the cobbles. I think TJ will advance on Team BNC and perhaps adopt the GC role. And then you take a guy, to your point, uh, like Vincenzo Nibali, who's a GC contender, but with a ridiculous bike handling skills. So he'll escape, fingers crossed, all that mayhem tomorrow and and kick some ass going into the rest day in the next two weeks. You know, it's one of those sports that if you don't, if you don't do it at a, like at a race pace, if you don't join a, like a, like whether it's a Fondo or whether you jump into like a multi-day kind of thing mm-hmm. and push yourself as hard as you possibly can, you know, it's hard, but you don't really know until you literally take yourself to the limit. And you, if you go for a ride with like, you know, like I said, when I ride with you guys or like Tim or, you know, some of these you know you got, guys that are freshly retired and just like yeah. slay, like I push myself to the absolute limit and you're like, got your phone out and you're taking selfies <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's a different world. It's, it's so impressive. And so I think like, since I've started riding with 
great riders, I have so much more interest in, in watching because it's just, you really realize how hard it is. And, and, and you guys, I don't know, like we don't work as hard as you guys do. We make, <laughs> no, seriously, like to take yourself mentally where you take yourself. And that was the other good thing that cycling did for me is, you know, the places that you can take yourself on a really hard, long climb mentally, yeah. like yeah. You, you get almost like hallucinations. Like you start thinking about weird stuff, your body's doing all kinds of crazy things. I never even got close to that in a hockey game ever. Yeah. You could be triple overtime playoffs, like anything. Nothing was even close to being as hard as like a very, very hard climate, like race pace. Sure. And so when you get in those situations, you'd be like, huh, eh, it's not too bad. You know, while other people are like crumbling, you know, it, you, I don't know, you just, your bar is higher. And, and I know, so I know what I can do. And then when I see, you know, you guys do what you actually do, it's, it's just, it's amazing. I remember having this conversation, uh, at length with Timmy Duggan, Timmy and I, uh, he's co-retiree, but we spent a handful of years together on liquid gas. So we we're under a very Italian, uh, Italian operated team and we raced for at that point, Basso, uh, Basso Nibali, uh, Sagan, uh, Viviani. So we have hitters of all hitters. And we would talk about what it's like to be, you know, in a crazy crosswind, guttered out. You got your team captain on your wheel. It's raining. It's snowing. There's there's cow shit flinging up in your face. You have a team director yelling at you in Italian. You got a Slovak behind you yelling at you to do well. And you're like, it just puts you in a different... You, you can't just say, oh, you know what, Peter? My legs are tired. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up now. Um, so he and I would just always joke that, sure, that is purely an athletic uh, enterprise that we're doing those things, but those things are going to transfer to, to another career. So, you know, I think entrepreneurs, cyclists, and professional athletes in general make great entrepreneurs because you just you push yourself to a different, a different norm that, that I think most of... Yeah, your definition of, like, a tough day yeah. is a lot different than the nine to five tough day. Bingo. Yeah. You're like, oh, four 30. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, you got anything for me? I hear some, uh, some raffle tickets being drawn. I want to go see what kind of swag we just, I'm going to go win Jeremy's cross bike. I think. Oh, sick. Then I could do the adventure loop next year. Exactly. You're on a beautiful bike today. Yeah. Cannondale synapse. Cannondale synapse. Last year yeah. at the standard fundo route. But yeah, this year they introduced a, an adventure loop, which is going to be super dope. It was super dope. We had a fair dose of gravel this year. No doubt. It was nice. The, yeah. The synapse was beautiful. Excellent. I rode the synapse last year in the oat route through mm -hmm. Colorado, which was 20% gravel, I think. I rode the synapse in Pyrenees oat route. Uh, Tim gives me crap the way I pronounce it because I say hot route, but that's just the American in me. Um, yeah, the bike's great for all varieties of terrain, so long as it's not super rocky rooty like the adventure route loop was today. Um... Brilliant. Well, we were talking about earlier, and I need to throw another plug in. October 20th, King Challenge. We'd love to have you in New Hampshire for another yeah. great New England ride. I hope you're in New York and can make the I really the hope trip I'm up. out east. I, I honestly, I, I, what do the kids say? FOMO? Yeah. I have FOMO. They have fear of FOMO. You ever used that one? That's going meta. Fear of FOMO? Fear of missing out. FOMO. <laughs> fear of, fear of. Anyway. Andrew Ference, I thank you very much for being here. Uh, thank you for letting me put on your Stanley Cup winning ring and let's go see what kind of sweet stuff we just won. It's always good to see you, buddy. Great to see you. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks.